Hey, good morning, Journey. It's great to see you. Be nice to have our lead pastor Brian on stage next week. And uh, hey, just so you know, that uh, rollerblade segment, I was the one first considered for that. Yeah, yeah. That's, I got disqualified. Something about workman's comp, or uh, I don't. I'm not sure what. Hey, we're going to go back into the near the end of the Old Testament this morning and look at the theme of suffering and injustice. There's a little uh, there's a little book called Habakkuk, and Habakkuk writes about a dialogue he has with God about the suffering and injustice that he sees around him. And Habakkuk is wrestling with this. He's wrestling with all the injustice and suffering he sees. And he's having trouble reconciling that with what he has been taught about God. That God is all-powerful. That God cares. That God is loving. And he gives us these three little chapters as a glimpse into that dialogue between him and God. I don't imagine that uh, my story is much different than any of us. Not only do we suffer individually, but people in our sphere right now and my life, two of the people who are closest to me, my aunt and uncle Jack and Gladys, who live down in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, when Marcy and I took our honeymoon about 40 years ago. We went to Southern California and spent some time with them. They've, they have always been important in our life and, and are part of some of the greatest family memories we have. Jack's 80. He's always had a leg that didn't really have as much circulation as it should have, though he's not diabetic. A couple weeks ago, he uh, noticed his leg was changing color. They went to the doctor right into the hospital, tried two or three things, nothing worked. Finally, they said, you know, Jack, we're going to have to take that leg. So well above the knee, a couple weeks ago, he went into surgery and they removed his leg. At 80 years old, there's a lot of complications. He ended up with blood clots in his lungs. He's got uh, high levels of pain medication, so he's in and out of consciousness. And his wife, Gladys, her kids take her in every day, and then she sits all day at the hospital by his bedside. We have friends in Circle, Montana. They're a little younger than us. Most of their kids have graduated and left home, but their youngest, 16-year-old son, who was going to stay there and farm, he was going to be the guy that hung with his dad and took over the family farm. And uh, it's particularly green in Southern California, in eastern Montana right now, and that's going to be a terrific year for harvest. And he was talking to his dad about how much he was going to enjoy harvesting. About two weeks ago, late in the evening, he and a friend decided to hop in a pickup and just take a drive, and they missed a turn. Both of them were killed instantly. And uh, I'm not sure I would have the ability to go harvest that crop. I think I'd have to have it custom done. Every time I saw the, the header moving and the hopper filling, I think that my son ought to be in the other combine. And it wasn't that long ago, I was in a small group meeting, and I reflected on something that I've thought of often. 
that any time you get about six people together in a room, the level of pain and loss and disappointment they carry, all the while, most of them manage to be gracious, fulfill their responsibilities in life, give and be kind to others. It, it just, it's amazing to me. And so in that kind of environment, we slip into Habakkuk. Because Habakkuk starts out by asking a question that almost any adult who's paying attention to the world somewhere along the line asks. And we find it in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Here's Habakkuk's question. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? but you do not listen. Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails and the wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. There's, uh, there's at least three kinds of suffering, I think. One is cosmic suffering. Cosmic suffering is the kind of suffering we're all born into, and we almost, we almost take it as normal, so we don't call it suffering. Except that there's something inside of us that reminds us things aren't the way they were meant to be. Cosmic suffering is kind of like what Paul meant when he said, I see through a glass darkly. That even in my best days, when I'm trying to be as alert as I can, I just don't see very clearly. That all of life, when I'm trying to set goals and accomplish things, a lot of the time I feel like I'm just running in sand. And though I'm putting forth all my effort, I just think I ought to be able to run faster, see more clearly, accomplish more. There's some kind of invisible weight that holds me down and inhibits the fullest expression of who I was created to be. Uh, I, a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, I turned 60. Hey, that's a that's a birthday with a kick to it. There's a little psychological. Uh, there's something inside of us where you you never actually put your name and the number 60 in the same sentence. And one day you uh, look in the mirror and you said. I've been misinformed. <laughs> you, you realize those two do actually fit in the same sentence. But during that week, I was just reflecting on my life. And you know, one of the greatest regrets I have is, is how slow I have been to comprehend things. Just incredible to me. Stuff that's just been there. Visible. I should have seen it months ago, years ago, and finally it shows up, and one of the things I realized is it was visible all the time, and what was it that made me so slow to catch on? That's cosmic suffering. Then there's general suffering. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. People have accidents. People get cancer. If we try to 
work out, all right, why did this person get cancer and not this person? Why did this person get well and not this? That, that's a short road to internal confusion. When uh, Dale Brown, the LSU coach, was here with us for Father's Day, I was taking him out to eat, and I, somehow the conversation ended up about people we knew, and I mentioned somebody close to me who had cancer, and he stopped, and he says, does the whole world have cancer? And he talked about so many of his acquaintances that were struggling with cancer. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Stuff happens. It's the way it is. It's general suffering. Part of this world. Then there's specific suffering, personal suffering. Suffering that's unique to you. When Moses guided the children of Israel out of Egypt. They weren't a very easy group to lead. And uh, they got to one spot and they were out of water. And The Lord told Moses to strike a rock and the rock would pour forth water. And it did. They were down the road a ways and they were out of water again. And the Lord says, now Moses, speak to this rock. Moses was so aggravated with the people that he struck the rock. God came to Moses and now Moses because you didn't do what I asked you to do here there was more at stake than you realized you will not go into the promised land you'll see it but you'll not go in but we think of Joseph betrayed by his brothers sold into slavery suffered oppression and injustice Only later, as we read the entire story, do we see that God was using that suffering to get him into Egypt, where he'd become prime minister. So when the drought came, and famine and starvation were at the door, Joseph would be in a place to help the very family that had betrayed him. But his suffering in the meantime was a very specific suffering, unique to him. Habakkuk is struggling with the inactivity of God. Why do I cry out and it does not appear that you listen? That's chapter 1. Chapter 2 of Habakkuk, God answers. And God's answer seems to be about timing. And we read right at the beginning of the chapter, the Lord answering in verses 2 and 3. Write down the revelation... And make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. God seems to be suggesting to Habakkuk, you're right Habakkuk, you don't fully understand what's going on. Now, it actually gets worse. The Lord tells Habakkuk his solution to the suffering. Now, here it is. He says, I know there's suffering going on. I know there's injustice. And in order to judge it and put a stop to it, I'm going to let the Babylonians come in, and they're going to come in, and they're going to take over the country. Habakkuk says, whoa, what kind of solution is that? Sure, sure, you'll, you'll get rid of the oppressors, but all the innocent people will get hurt too. That was God's solution? 
Now let me suggest to you right now that our conclusion when we're done this morning will not be very intellectually satisfying. Because God seems to suggest to Habakkuk that his ways are above our ways. And there will be times, no matter how much we try, the pieces will not fit. We will not be able to reconcile the idea of the oppression, injustice, and suffering and pain we see around us with a God who has all power, who loves us, and who wants to be involved in our life. And because God knows in this fallen world that will be the case, This second chapter teaches us something. Because after these verses, the rest of the chapter is a lament in which Habakkuk outlines the five things he sees around him that cause him such anguish, that are so unjust, unrighteous. And Scripture says that that we will hunger and thirst for what is righteous. You know what chapter 2 teaches us? That lament is an act of worship. That lament is an act of worship. That lamenting to God about how things are not the way they were meant to be is not just a bunch of ungrateful people whining. It is people realizing this is not right. Something should be done. I am troubled that something isn't being done. The book of prayer and worship in the Old Testament is the Psalms. There are 150 Psalms. Do you know that one third of them, 50 out of the 150 Psalms, are laments? Laments. They are about people laying before the Lord a complaint. You say, how in the world could that be worship? Listen, if we didn't believe what we believe about God, let's say we thought if there is a God, he's capricious, he plays favorites, he's indifferent, judgmental, even mean, then all the suffering we see around us and that we endure, well, naturally, it would just be natural. What do you expect with a God like that? But in fact, when we lament, our lament is a declaration that what we've learned about God is that He is powerful and loving and involved in our life and caring, and that just is not reconcilable with what we see. And when we lament, we are declaring what it is we really think about God. And we are wondering why that kind of God does not step in and do something. And so when we worship, like we could be together for ten weeks, and I could could spend our time on all the happy verses. 
Whatsoever things are lovely and pure, think on these things. We could work our way through the book of Philippians, the epistle of joy that it's called. All of which are true. But this is just as true. That in this world you carry, many of you, indescribable hurt. You have watched people around you suffer unmentionable pain. You cannot reconcile that with a God who has power and loves us. And the Lord invites us in the Psalms and in Habakkuk to lay a complaint before him and to say, I don't get this, God. I don't understand what's going on. This is confusing. That is a lament. Chapter 3 gives us Habakkuk's final response. The suffering he sees around him drives him to a crisis of decision. He can be driven into the atheism of fear. Well, I don't know. I don't, I'm, just, I'm so afraid of all the chaos that's going on. How can there be a God if this happens? Or a crisis of decision Even if I can't see it, I purpose in my heart to believe a certain thing. And so we read in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Now keep in mind as we read this, that Judah was an agricultural economy. And so here is Habakkuk's response. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls yet I will rejoice in the Lord And I will be joyful in God my Savior. In that crossroads, Habakkuk decides, I am better off, in the midst of this confusion, I am better off continuing to believe that though I cannot understand it, there is a God who has power and who loves me. And I will continue to believe that though the crops are, the fields are barren and the stalls are empty. Interestingly, that this little book tucked into the edge of the Old Testament, though small, has one of the most important scriptures in all the Bible in it. A scripture that Paul used repeatedly in the New Testament a scripture that became part of the groundwork of of the work of the church and Martin Luther. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, Habakkuk writes, For the just 
will live by their faith. The just will live by their faith. Now, the word faith here does not mean, well, I'm just going to have confidence in God even though I can't see it. It's actually much closer to the word steadfastness. The just will live by their steadfastness. It's faithfulness. It's a husband and wife, a man and a woman getting ready to be married, and so they're standing together and they're taking their vows, and they say, better or worse, richer for poorer, health and in sickness. And though they have great plans together, one of them gets sick. And the sickness is expensive and of a long duration. And the one spouse determines, in this I will stay faithful. It is the person who in the midst of many people abandoning their posts decides, no, I am going to fulfill my responsibility though nobody else stays. For the just will live by their faith. And that's where Habakkuk leaves us. Reminding us that in this world of indescribable suffering and what we're taught about God's power and love, we will not be able to reconcile them. And he invites us to live in our steadfastness towards him. Would you bow your heads with me as we finish this morning and close your eyes if you would. Could I ask us with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Many of us today in this room are experiencing the goodness of God. God's pouring out his blessing on you. You have many things to to thank him for. In just a moment, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. And you can prepare your heart for that by just saying, right now where you're seated, Lord, I thank you for all the good things you brought into my life. And you can number a few of them. Lord, I'm thankful for this, for this, and for this. The Bible says everything good comes from Him. So if there's something good going on in your life, would you just take a moment and thank Him for that? We'll wait for just a second. There's some of us in this room there's some of us in this room whose hearts are filled with a lament and maybe you didn't know till today that the Lord treats that as worship Scripture says that every tear is captured and bottled by the Lord and not forgotten. And you have a lament, a complaint to put before the Lord. 
not because you're shallow and whiny, but because you are aware of a great wrong that has cut deep. And it is not, you know in your heart to know, it is not part of the perfect plan of God. Could I invite you this morning in an act of worship as you prepare to take the Lord's Supper, to lay this lament before the Lord, to lay this complaint down and to say to Him, this should not be. It is confusing. It is painful. Take a moment right now to do that. If you've prayed this morning and you've just been thanking the Lord for some of the good things He's brought into your life, we're not going to embarrass anyone and our heads are bowed in prayer, but just to honor the Lord. If you're thanking the Lord, would you just slip your hand up and put it down and say, you know, I thank God this morning for some good stuff in my life. Yeah, all, all through here, you bet. The middle and both sides, yeah. Now, could I ask some of us, when you looked into your heart today, did you see a lament? Did you lay that before the Lord today? That act of worship. And you laid before him a complaint. A declaration that this should not be. The Lord has called it worship. If you've worshipped the Lord that way this morning, with our heads bowed and we're not looking around, would you slip your hand up? say yes I laid before the Lord something like that yeah all over the center both sides bet Lord I thank you that uh, you are so often gracious for those times we feel your kindness towards us we are truly thankful For these who slip their hands up in gratitude for that, I, I pray that you'll honor them and continue to bless them. Lord, for some of us who worshiped you today by laying before you a complaint, for letting the lament of our spirit rise to you, I pray that you'll honor that. in a way that we can't even envision. Just as you brought life out of the brokenness of the cross, the bread and the wine that we will take this morning. So somehow out of this lament, this sorrow, somewhere down a road we cannot see, you will bring life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.